Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. All right, you better be ready to take some fast notes. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let some things go this morning, and uh, so if you thought I taught I spoke fast last week, you just better be hang on for this week as we jump into part four of our series entitled The Passion, where we're looking at the last seven days of the life of Jesus. I mentioned this in week one, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, the first three uh, books of the Bible, the the first three gospels there, um, they, a third of those gospels deals with the last seven days of the life of Jesus. The book of John over half of the book of John deals with the last seven days of the life of Jesus. So if it was that important for us to read, it's that important for us to preach. And so that's why we're landing on this series. And man, so excited to be in week four. So today uh, we're looking at Thursday, all right? Thursday in that final week of the life of Jesus. We find him and the disciples, they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover, uh, having the Last Supper. And after the Last Supper, uh, there's the, during the Last Supper, there's these conversations, that's what we're going to be talking about today, that were being had. Um, but after those conversations, then there's going to be prayer at the table. And then after prayer at the table, Jesus is going to go about 200 yards away uh, to the Olive Grove at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to pray again and it's also during this day where Judas betrays Jesus. And so there's something a little bit unique about the book of John. Uh, the book of John um, has five chapters. It's chapter, starting in chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17 that give us five chapters of the dinner conversation, right? Which is pretty unique. Like Jesus is having a conversation. He's at the table and he's talking to his disciples. And we get five chapters of what they're talking about. I don't know about you, but there's something that's very powerful when we gather around the table. Right? Our family, and I've shared this before, uh, it wasn't my idea. It was definitely my wife's idea because she's much smarter than I am. And uh, she said, hey, when we gather at the table with our kids, um, we want to make sure that we, we're eliminating any distractions. So we don't bring our cell phones to the table. And uh, we, we, in those moments, we strategically ask questions. Because when you ask questions, you have the ability to listen. And when you listen, you have the ability to get to know somebody. And so we'll ask questions like, hey, what's one thing that made you happy today? What's one thing that made you sad? Uh, what's one thing that, uh, that made you laugh? What's one thing that made you angry? And then we usually finish with, what, what was one lie the enemy tried to tell you? And then when, when they speak, we're like, okay, hey, we're going we're gonna to rebuke that in that moment. And we just do a whole roundtable of encouragement. This is why that's a lie, because you're awesome. This is why that's a lie. And so we just speak life uh, over our children and and over ourselves. And it's, it's amazing, too, when you allow your children to speak life over you, right? Because you're vulnerable in that moment. Like, hey, you want to know what made me mad today? Hmm. And then sometimes we have to omit the name because you're seated here and we don't want them to know. I'm just kidding. I'm playing. I'm playing. Some of you are like, for real? No, we don't talk about it, okay? <laughs> but it's unique. And what that has taught me is whenever I have an opportunity to eat lunch or, or dinner or be at, uh, at a table with someone, I love to ask questions, one, if you're the one asking the question, you get to eat the hot food because they're talking, right? But most importantly is you get to know people. 
And you get to see into their heart and really who they are. Because hopefully the surface, right, gets, you get underneath that layer and you, you have an opportunity to, to engage. And so we're going to be looking at some things interestingly from Jesus and some of the things he challenged the disciples when he was having a seat at the table. And so I'm going to give, before we jump into the text, uh, you can turn to the book of John. We're going to be there in John chapter 13 in just a moment. Uh, but I'm just going to give you a few questions maybe that will help you today. Right, to have a great dinner conversation or maybe a great lunch conversation. Uh, these aren't necessarily spiritual questions, but these are just questions you can ask. Like, for instance, if you could only sing one song during karaoke, what song would it be? Right, like, hmm, what would that be? Like, oh, I'm gonna go a little Living on, living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Like, that's just a hit, right? Or I'm going old school, we're going with Journey. <laughs> can't stop believing like that's the one I'm going out or maybe you're like no I want to wrap this around spiritual so I'm gonna I'm gonna do like a Maverick City I thank God and we're gonna get everybody up and pick me up and he turned me around like we're gonna get into this and so maybe that was your song but it's just interesting like if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life what would it be I found a loophole in the system by the way how many know that there's always good loopholes and so I found a loophole in the system if I had to eat the same meal every day for the rest of my life I would choose hibachi and get the, like, the classic trio. That way I could get steak, shrimp, and chicken and just be able to eat one, you know, something a little different every day, okay? But, but that's just a loophole that I found. If you were left on a deserted island and you could live with your biggest enemy or yourself, who would you choose? Ah, oh, that's easy. I'm alone on a desert island the rest of my life, you know? Um, but, but these are just interesting questions right, that you can have conversation at the dinner table. Like if you could learn any new skill in an instant, just like that, what would it be? You're like, I want to sing like Phil Warda. That's my, <laughs> for me, it's finished carpentry. I want, to do, I, want to, I want to know how to do finished carpentry. One, because I'm cheap and that will save me a lot of money. And two, I could make money. Like this is, this is like a dream come true. And so that would be for me. Um, if you could bring back any fashion at any time in history, what fashion item or clothing item would you bring back? The first service, someone yelled out fanny pack. And I was like, oh, you missed that train because it's been back already. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying it's cool. I'm just saying it's back. All right. I'm just kidding. And I was like, oh, what would I bring back? And I was like, parachute pants? How many, how many know you just found out my age right there without me saying a word? And I was like, no, it wouldn't be parachute pants. You know what I'm going to bring back? Skid pants with IOU sweatshirts. That's what I'm bringing back right there. If you never had to, if you never had the opportunity to put that amazing, cool outfit on, you've missed it. So if that comes back, all of you will dress with style. That's all I can tell you because that's where it was. But those, what do they do? They're conversations. You're strategically asking questions because you want to be invested in the people who are sitting at your table. And so what would happen if Jesus was sitting at your table today, right? There's a seat, and Jesus, I, that's what I love about Jesus, is there is always a seat at his table. And so we're at this seat, we're at the table with Jesus, and we're sitting next to him. I wonder what questions he would ask of us. Or I wonder what statements he would make to challenge us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at are some five topics, five statements of Jesus while he's at the table. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at the book of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. It says, it was just before Passover festival, Jesus knew that he had the, the, the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
Can I just pause for a moment? This would be a great opportunity for us to have a praise moment. Did you hear what I just read? That the hour has come. He's getting ready to leave the world to go back to the Father, but he loves his own, and he loved them till the end. He loves you till the end. He has not forgotten you. He will not forget about you, and his love abounds until the end because he's always with you. He's your ever-present help in any time of need, and he is an awesome God. Amen? In verse 2, it says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So it's in this moment, if we continue to read those verses, you see there's a a little pushback from the disciples, like, Jesus, we know who you are. (laughs) We've seen your power, your authority. You are King Jesus, and and this is not a job for a king. This is is something that, that someone less than would serve. This is something that a servant, like they didn't have Nikes and Reeboks, and, and boots. Like they, they, they had sandals, and it was dusty. They didn't have asphalt and concrete. And so this was something that a servant would do. And here the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is washing feet in his final few hours. And Peter, of course, he's the more loud, boisterous one, was like, no, Jesus, that ain't happening. You are not touching these dogs. Like, they, that's not happening. And he gives some pushback. And then Jesus is like, oh, I'm going to give a little pushback to you. Peter, unless you let me do this, I will not partner with you. We cannot be in this fellowship, in this harmony together if you will not allow this moment to happen. And of course, Peter said, okay, Jesus, I want to partner with you. And so then we pick up our text in verses 12 through 17. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, and no messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So what would Jesus say if he could have dinner with you? The first thing, if you're taking notes, is the best way to serve me is by serving others. That's what Jesus, if we were at the table sitting with Jesus, according to the book of John chapter 13, he would say the best way to serve me is by serving others. And he says, I love how Jesus says, if you do these things, you will be blessed. The translation is, if you do these things, you will be happy. If you do these things, there will be an inner joy that will spring up from within you because of how you are serving others. Serving is so much less about you and so much more about others. But it's crazy in the moment when we serve somebody else how fulfilled we become. Right, you have an opportunity uh, to go on mission trips, whether that's to New York City or to El Salvador here in a few months, or, or maybe you're one of the men who's like, yep, I'm going to Nicaragua in 2024. Just want you to know that uh, I'm in, and so in 2024, uh, David Barch is leading that trip, and we're going along, and, and it's going to be one of those moments where you're like, we're here to serve, and we're going to serve, and we're, we're going to give everything we have for as long as we can. The crazy thing is your heart's like, no, I'm going to go to bless others. I can guarantee you that when you come back, you will be more blessed because it's always better when we're serving other people. 
And so uh, it doesn't have to be complicated. Being a servant doesn't have to be complicated, and here's why. You see a need and you meet it, you see a hurt and you heal it. You see a need and you go, man, I can meet that. You see a hurt and you can heal it. We're gonna do a little, we're gonna do a little experiment this morning because I think we're all on the same boat, all in the same boat this morning. How many of you, by a show of hands, have some type of need that someone could help with? Right? We have needs. We have needs. They can be small. They can be large. They, they, they could be ginormous. And we're like, man, this is a need. Like, I would need the whole church to come and help me with this need. But, but all of us have needs. And because we all have needs, that means there's always an opportunity to help somebody out. But I would encourage you, never, never wait for somebody else to take the place of what the Holy Spirit has asked you to do. Right? If he has spoken to your heart and drawn you to help meet a need, don't push back and say, that's not me. That's not my job. That opportunity is for somebody else. Right, right This morning, I loved having our kids in here right, and being able to, to take up a camp offering. And, and, and I'm sure it's not here. It probably was definitely, if it, if it did exist, it would have been in the 9 a.m., not the 11 a.m., because right, the 11 a.m. crowd's a little bit different. right? But, but just imagine for a moment that when the offering is being taken, that the first thought that would come to your mind is, those aren't my kids and it's not my issue. You know what should happen is those parents should work some overtime to pay for their own kids to go to camp. But if the best way to serve God is by serving others, if Jesus would challenge us to invest in the life of not the next generation, but the generation that's going to lead us into the future, then why not be generous in that season and in that moment? Right, you, can, you could have given in person. You can still give online if you so choose. But, but hear me on this. The reason I'm such a proponent for camp is because the, 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 the little shorty that was up here and sharing her testimony, that's my youngest daughter. But not only has she been impacted by camp, but camp has been such a, a milestone, an anchoring moment for all of my children, whether that was receiving uh, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether that was receiving a call to ministry, whether that was just a, a pivotal moment where new relationships sprung open and connections with people all over, all over Ohio. There's something powerful when you put 600 teenagers in one room with one heart that says, I just want to experience God. It's powerful. And so just imagine that your investment into the generation, and next thing you know, one little kid, you know what I mean, second grader comes up to the altar and they give their life to Jesus, and all of a sudden God's call and his anointing and his power rest upon that second grader, and next thing you know, they're in the next Billy Graham in the United States. And you're like, oh, I knew them when they were a smart mouth, disrespectful second grader. <laughs> However, I knew that there was an investment that I could make. And so I did my part. And so what, what do we have to do? We, we see a need and we meet it. We see a hurt and we heal it. By a show of hands again. It's a vulnerable moment and I get that. And I'm going to raise my hand just so you know it's coming. By a show of hands, how many of you have some type, any type of hurt that you are carrying with you this morning? Some of you are like, I got some church hurt because it's 1158 and you're still on point one. So would you speed up? <laughs> the more you say amen, the quicker I go. See, I knew you'd catch on. Perfect. We all have hurts, but I would encourage all of you, all of you, do not walk around with salt shakers looking for open wounds, right? Like, oh, you have a hurt. Let me help. Oh, you have, you have a hurt. Let me help. No, we are to be healing agents, 
not agents of destruction, not agents of, of increasing pain. Our job is not to kick people when they're down, right? It's to pick them up. I love the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? Have you ever had a chance to read and connect with that story? Right? The, the priest, the Levite, they walk by, they do nothing. You have a Samaritan who's not supposed to even associate with a Jew. Like it's, it's, it's not even supposed to happen. There's an interesting word. It's not for the sermon today. But when you break down that, that, that Jew and that Samaritan, and, and the, the word there is powerful. It's, they're not even supposed to have that association or that togetherness. And so now it's all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, I see you. I'm going to help you. Oh, you're hurting? I'm going to bring healing. And I'm going to bandage you. And I'm going to give my very best. And, and you need a place to find healing and recovery? I'll pay for it too. And if there's any more, he tells, he tells the guy at the end, if there's any more needs, you just let me know and I'll handle it. I love that because if someone is hurting, then I can be a part of the healing. But I would encourage you, church, don't tell people where to go. Rather walk with them on their journey. Right, walk with them on their journey. It's a, man, I see a need, I wanna meet it. There's a hurt and I wanna heal it. Hey, you know what you should do? You should go see them. No, you, what, you know what you should do? We should go together. Right, I think about Recovery 836 on Thursday nights. Oh man, there's, there's someone who needs to be there and I'm gonna tell them they need to go. You know what would be better? Hey, I have a friend that needs to go there and I'm coming with them. Because we don't tell people where to go, we walk with them in their journey. So at the table this morning, here would be the question that I would challenge you with. What can I do this week to serve somebody else? What can I do this week to serve someone else? Now here's the cool thing. If you're a part of Life Group, all five questions that I'm using today, you're gonna unpack in Life Group. So if you're like, mm, not sure yet, you have all day to be thinking because when you get to Life Group, do you know what the, it's gonna be the second question, will be, what could you do this week to serve somebody else? And now you're, now you're not on the spot. Now you know. So all the life group leaders are like, yes, okay? And so now we have this moment. So maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe someone you saw that was sick or, or, or someone who's walking through a tough time. Would you use social media this week for good? Not try to be like, oh, I can't wait for someone to say something. I can't wait to put that person in their place. Why not use it as a moment of I saw a need and I met it. I saw a hurt and I'm bringing healing. Like that person's walking through it. Maybe they need a meal. Maybe they need a word of encouragement. And so I'm gonna go ahead and do my part. Get over to chapter 14. They're still hanging out at the table. Remember, this is dinner conversation. And so they're at the table, but something's a little bit different. You see the disciples now, Jesus could see something's going on, something is wrong. Now understand, a number of weeks ago, I preached on the triumphal entry of Jesus. And so now there's, they know, like, oh, it's victory. But they now know, this is not the king we thought we were getting. You see, we're under Roman impression and we thought for sure that King Jesus was coming and Caesar's going down, like we're gonna have victory like never before and we've been with him, so for sure, like we're gonna sit in that palace. And Jesus is like, ah, I have a different kingdom and I'm a different type of ruler. And so now Jesus sees this and he, he says this in John chapter 14, verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What was Jesus doing? He was building them up. He was encouraging them. So what would Jesus say to us at the table today? When the waves come, fix your eyes on me. Right? When the waves come, fix your eyes on me. In Matthew 14, the biblical account of Peter walking on water. I don't know if it's you, that's pretty powerful. And sometimes we only focus on him failing and not that he actually walked. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> you know, like... Hello, because Jesus is coming and the disciples are scared, scared and, and he's like, no, come on, Peter, you come to me. And, and he begins to walk 
on water. But I love what happened that Jesus in the moment when Peter begins to sink comes to the rescue because Jesus always shows up. No matter what you may be walking through, I want you to know, I want you to hear me this morning is that Jesus always shows up. The problem was in the moment when, G- when Peter's walking on wonder, it was when he took his eyes off of Jesus, when he took his eyes off the prize, when he took his eyes off the center and he looks either way, he sees circumstance, he sees issues, he sees concerns, he sees something other than Jesus because he looks at the waves and begins to sink. And so I wonder if Jesus would encourage us to, to move back to center because he may not change your circumstance, but he will walk with you through them. Your circumstances may never change, but I can guarantee you this, that he will always walk with you through them. And he extends his hand of grace and his love, and he picks up Peter and he lifts him up. So if we're at the table this morning, what would the question be? It would be, who can you encourage this week? Who can you encourage this week? Right? Who can you serve? And the second question is, who can you encourage? Who can you send a text message to? Who can you uh, celebrate on social media this week? Who can you meet with coffee and just say, hey, do you have a few moments? I, j- I just want to speak life into you because I want to lift you up. I want to build you up the way Jesus has built me up. What else would Jesus say if he could have dinner with you? In John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5, Jesus uses this word, remain in me, remain in me. And he, he finished with, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, a separation from me, a severing from me, you can do no thing. There's nothing you can do apart from me. He's talking about us being together. So what would Jesus say? He would say we can do more together than we can apart. We can always do more together than we can apart. A number of years ago, I preached a, a sermon uh, about puzzle pieces. How many of you are here for that in you're like, I have a puzzle piece somewhere in my junk drawer, right? And you, what I was sharing was that, that when you put a puzzle together, you want to make sure you have all the pieces. Anybody ever put a puzzle piece, a puzzle together, whether it was 100 or 5,000, and you got to the end and you were missing a piece? You know that frustration you, f- you felt? Like, oh, no, I'm flipping this mother out. Like, no! <laughs> Do you know the work I put into this? I wonder if the father sits back and goes, but you're my puzzle piece? And I have a beautiful picture, I have a beautiful painting that I am creating, and you are my masterpiece, and I have chosen you, and I have selected you, and there is no other shape that I've created except for your shape. Some of you are like, can I get a redo? No. But here's the deal, like, you are that perfect shape for a reason, and he wants to use you as a piece of his beautiful puzzle in his creation. So what would Jesus be wanting us to do? He'd probably ask us, what's your part? What's your part? A couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, I shared about a special missions project. So we, we take on missions, missions pledges per month, and then we also have a missions project, which is separate. And so the, the missions pledges help, uh, our over 50 missionaries or missions, missionary agencies have their funds to be able to stay on the field. The special missions project is, is a, a group that we partner with. Every year the project changes, and so this year our goal was $25,000, which is, that's very large, right? That's a large chunk of change. And that heart of that is there's another organization that if we give $25,000, they will give up to a million dollars, right? I don't, I don't, that math doesn't make sense, but if we give $25,000, they'll give $975,000, which will purchase all the medical equipment for an entire birthing center in the country of Tanzania, where one out of three children die at birth. So we have an opportunity to change the world by our generosity. 
And so I broke it down, and hear me on this. This is not to shame anyone, so this is not like, oh, he's talking to me. I'm, I'm talking to all of us, but not from a, a shameful, but an opportunity to do our part. We broke it down that if each adult individual gave $83, we would reach our $25,000 goal. If all of us, just, you know what I mean, $83. That broke down to over a 10-month period of $8, right? A little over $8 a week. Like, oh, man, we can, you know what I mean? We can do this, and we, we can have this heart, or $8 a month. We can have a heart of generosity, here, here's what I mean, though. If 10 people don't participate and do their part, that means somebody else has to give $830. So what does that mean? It means when we individually do a little, collectively we can accomplish a lot. Right? When we all do our part, as little as it may be, then collectively, what could God do? Because we can accomplish a lot. So Jesus is asking us, what is your part. Jesus talked about serving, he talked about encouraging, he talked about doing his, our part, but the, the thing that he talked about most in the book of John at the conversation at the dinner table was about the person of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, he says, I will, I will send another. You can't see him, but you know him because he lives within you and will be in you. So what would he say? Number four is this, listen to my voice more than your heart. Listen to my voice more than your heart. In John 16, verse 8 and verse 13, I'm just going to read verse 13. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. The Holy Spirit is only as loud as my willingness to listen. Right? The Holy Spirit is only as loud as my willingness to listen. So are we able and willing to just slow down for a moment and open up our ears and open up our minds and open up our hearts and, and to be able to just slow down? Because if he's going to guide us, he will guide us. If he's going to lead us, he will lead us. Like for instance, you ever get that prompting? Like you're gonna send an email to a coworker and you typed it all out and you're ready to hit send and all of a sudden it's like, hmm, is this the best reflection of Jesus within me? Delete, backspace, backspace. Right? And then, right? I, uh, sometimes, hear me on this. We see the bubbles on our, on our iPhones, and you're like, why is it taking them so long to respond? I wonder if that's a good thing. Because their response may be edited through the Holy Spirit, and they may not just give you what they're feeling in the moment. Because are we giving enough space for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to us? Like, for instance, I know not here, again, it's probably the nine that I was speaking to, but maybe you're in an intense fellowship, not a disagreement, but an intense fellowship with your spouse. And you're just ready. And you're ready, like, oh, I'm going to let them have it right then and in this moment. And then all of, the Holy, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit grips your mouth and your heart and your mind. And you're like, Whew. Because what you were getting ready to say would not, been, would not have been a reflection of who God believes and truly loves and gave his life for the person you're about to speak to, which is your spouse. Would you, would, you want to talk, would you want someone talking to your children that way? Then maybe we shouldn't talk to his that way, right? And so the Holy Spirit begins to lead, and he begins to guide, and he begins to, to help us in that leading. And I wonder if Jesus would ask us, what is the Holy Spirit trying to say? Never stop dreaming? Or maybe there's a warning? Maybe there's a start, or maybe there's a stop? Maybe there's that you shouldn't be heading this direction. You shouldn't be looking at that. You shouldn't be having that thought. And so the leading of the Holy Spirit is saying, I have this. 
And before they ever got up from the table in John 17, 1, it says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And then after he prayed that prayer at the table, he walks just that few hundred yards away, and then he has another prayer in the garden. And if Jesus were at the table with us today, I think he would say, make prayer a priority. Make prayer a priority. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go there to pray. So would you make prayer a priority? Every year, for the last five or six years, we have started the beginning of the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. That is not because we, we, we are not prepared for the year, and so we just need to give you something. It's because we want to make prayer a priority. And what better time to start than the new year when it's like, oh man, maybe I didn't succeed as well or I didn't, I didn't spend as much time as I should have. We're trying to refocus our thoughts and bring them back to where they need to be and which means we're making prayer a priority. Last year, we even opened up the worship center uh, from three to six o'clock every day, just giving moments and opportunities for people to come and, and seek the face of God. So is prayer a priority? You see, what we pray about really truly does reflect what we believe about God. I've often challenged and said things like, hey, if God answered every single one of your prayers, what would be different in the world? You're like, oh, if he answered this and that, I would feel better. I'm asking if he answered every one of your prayers, how would the world be changed? Because prayer is the priority. So the last question I think Jesus would, would, would ask us is, what do I need to give to God in prayer? What worries you? What keeps you up, up at night? What anxieties do you have? See, today we're gonna take in communion. If you didn't receive the supplies on the way in, just raise your hand and we'll make sure we get one of those to you this morning. But before we jump into our time of communion, I wanna ask you one last question that's not on my notes but it's the most important question you will ever answer in your life. And it's this, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because here's what I love about Jesus and the table, and I already said it, that he always has a seat available at his table. He's sitting there and he's pulling it out. He's waiting for us to take that spot so he could push us in to have a relationship and a conversation with us. And so this morning, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, and you're like, well, why are you asking me to close my eyes? Because I, I want you to know that Jesus is a, is a personal God. He wants a personal relationship, and so I want this moment to be personal. I want this to be a reflection for, for you to be able to just quiet your heart and quiet your mind. In a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to pray with me, and if you're online, there's going to be a host that will pray with you. But if you're here in the room today, and, and the answer to that question is, man, do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? Yes. Yes, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm following after him, and I'm living for him, all heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if when I ask that question, you are either unsure or you know the answer is no, then I want to pray with you this morning. And so I'm gonna ask it one more time. And if you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, after I'm done asking the question, would you simply just raise your hand? 
Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? If you want to, would you just raise your hand all over this place and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? It's all over this place. Would you pray this prayer with me? And when I say pray it with me, I'm going to ask you to repeat it. Jesus, I'm sorry for living without you. I'm giving my life to you. Save me. Change me. Set me free. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning as we take in communion, I'm gonna ask you, these, these cups are pretty easy to use. You just peel off the first top plastic layer and you'll get to the wafer. And then you can peel back the second layer, which is the juice. In Matthew chapter 26, it says, while they were eating that Jesus took the bread and he, he gave thanks and he said, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so this morning, that's what we're gonna do collectively, is we're going to take the elements and give thanks. And then at any moment after I'm done praying, whenever you feel led to, I'm gonna encourage you to take of those elements yourself. And then once that's done, if however you feel led, if you wanna stay in your seat and you just wanna have a reflective moment because the last question is what do I need to give to God in prayer? Seek him in prayer. Whatever it is that you're holding on to, would you let it go? Or if the Spirit is leading you and you just wanna stand up and you wanna raise your hands and you, and you just wanna give thanks to God, you wanna praise Jesus, the one who paid your debt. See, you racked up a bill, you've charged up a card that you cannot pay off. Yet all of it was paid and your balance is zero because of his goodness. And so would you lift the elements toward heaven this morning? So Jesus, just as you did, we wanna model what you put before us. And so we give thanks. We know this is not your body, it's symbolic of your body with the wafer that we hold in our hands. But what it represents is the body that was shed and beaten and flogged for all of us. And so Lord, we give you thanks for the work that you did that we could not do by ourselves. And, and the juice is not your blood, but it's what it represents, it's symbolic. And God, we're so grateful and so thankful for every drop that was shed was for the forgiveness of our sins because your word tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so we could not forgive ourselves and we could not, and it is impossible. The chasm was too wide for us to cross from where we're at in our sin to your righteousness on the throne. And you sent your son and because of your son's sacrifice, we can celebrate his resurrection because his resurrection not only brought him life, but but it brings us life. And so Lord, thank you. And we could never thank you enough. And so we praise the one who gave and gave it all to pay a debt we could not pay. So Jesus, we give you thanks. In your precious name, amen.